What's going on, NFL football fans? This is the NFL All-32 podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. David Hasegan here with Alex Marinoni and Troy Anthony. Still, no Emory Hunt knows are the playbook, although I can tell you that as of this recording, he is currently enjoying some beignets down at Cafe Du Monde in New Orleans. It's a really tough life on the road. You can you can really tell. For <laughs> he must be suffering, especially with all that weather in Jersey that we're having. And oh he's yes, dealing with. It's oh must yeah, be, must be rough for him. It must be very difficult keeping all the powdered sugar off his shirt. Although he, Emery's a pro. I'm sure he's wearing a white shirt to Cafe Du Monde. He can't be too careful with that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, we're we're very very jealous of the czar of the playbook here in the frigid cold and i know the people in green bay are laughing at us but anyway we got a lot to cover on this week's podcast we've got two championship games and we've got a hell of a super bowl that we now have set up in two weeks in miami we're going to talk about some more coaching hirings and we're thinking to yourself wait a minute all the head coaching spots are filled well the coordinators carousel is very much still spinning and there's been some very interesting developments over the last week we're going to talk about the senior hall of fame class the preview if you will to the modern era players that will be announced in a couple of weeks and we'll talk about some of the early draft prospects yes it's start time to start talking about the nfl draft some of the underclassmen that are coming out that could be a big impact on your franchises so we'll have all of that coming up we also want to say happy martin luther king day to everyone out there listening national holiday we hope you're celebrating it by listening here to the podcast so we'll uh hopefully keep you know Keep Dr. King's message moving forward. Don't just think about it. Act on it today. But let's get into what happened on the field this past weekend. We had two incredible matchups to talk about, and it started in the AFC. The Cinderella story of the Tennessee Titans has been one that has pretty much... It, it hasn't really captured everybody's attention. It's kind of stunned everybody uh, from start to finish. They go in to Arrowhead after knocking off Baltimore and New England, and then they get the Kansas City Chiefs. The team that has just been on a mission after last year's choke job in the playoffs. Tennessee looked like they had him in the first quarter, but we've seen this show before from Kansas City. They come back strong in the second quarter, even stronger in the second half, and the Chiefs are on their way to the first Super Bowl in 50 years. They win 35-24. Let's talk about this game because for the first time really in the last three months, Mr. Henry was held in check, and this was a great credit to a Kansas City defense that doesn't get as much credit. Yeah, this was a tale of two halves for Derrick Henry. I mean, in the first half, I think he had 60, 64 of his Something, 69 yeah. total yards. Yeah. In the second half, the Chiefs just turned it up and totally stopped him. Yeah, it was a bunch of three and outs in that second half. One in particular where uh, the Titans went three and out quickly, and then finally that bend but don't break defense finally gave it up and a big bomb to Sammy Watkins. That was when the tide kind of shifted for me, and I was like, this game's probably over. Um, Tannehill did his best. I mean, 209 yards and two yeah. touchdowns. He's already doubled up more so than his first two games combined. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, as far as the yards go, but he was definitely uh, more competent in this game as far as was needed more and was able to do more. But yeah, Derrick Henry um, pretty much, what, nine, eight, something total yards in that second second half was not you know that's not how they were built and uh credit to Kansas City and Frank Clark for backing up the words that he said uh, early in the in the week definitely did I mean the thing with Tannehill like we've given him a lot of crap for not pulling his weight in this in this run in the playoffs he did what he did against Kansas City the first time around in the regular season he did something very similar he just did not get the help from Henry this time around Kansas City was ready for him forced Tannehill to beat them he gets a little more time he might have uh, but just, you know, as you said, two touchdowns, 21-31, not too bad. Um, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the quarterback on the other side. 
I mean, Patrick Mahomes. I Ridiculous. Mean, the, the MVP voting is already done. We know that. We probably know Lamar Jackson's going to win it. But can we put a late vote in? Because just the play at the end of the half alone mm-hmm. is MVP worthy for Patrick Mahomes. That run, that's something that will end up – that. That is something that will end up on NFL films forever. Yeah, that was beast mode. That that was uh, <laughs> that, that was, was insane. That was Steve Steve Young esque at the end of that yeah. half there. Yeah. I mean, in their first matchup, he was coming off the dislocated knees. I think he only ran for like four yards in their first matchup, where the yeah. where the Kansas City Chiefs ended up dropping that game. But his legs seemed to be a little bit of the difference in this one. I mean, whenever whenever he needed to, he would just tuck the ball, get the get the hard yardage, and it it went far for them having the lead going into the half. And, and this is one of the things that he's was kind of known for before Lamar Jackson really flew on the scene. Like Lamar Jackson, when he takes off, he does turn into something otherworldly. Like he turns something dynamic. With Mahomes, he does that before crossing the line of scrimmage. The movement he has getting out of the pocket and being able to find a throw is just insane. And that ability to adjust, it, it was almost like watching an improv show. It wasn't you know, it wasn't a stage show. It was an improv show with Mahomes every time he plays, and it wins games. I yeah. mean, you saw it in on that run in the, at the yeah. end of the first half. It, two guys, in before he even crossed the line of scrimmage, you're like, okay, he's about to get sacked. Oh, no. Okay, he's about to get sacked. Oh, no. Then he turns the corner, and he's out. Yeah, it's just gone. Just it, it's such an underrated part of his game because when you think of the Chiefs offense, you're like, these guys, these receivers are way too fast. Kelsey is way too talented. Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes can throw from any arm angle on a dime. So you're so concerned with that. And then when you finally do get pressure on him, he's so graceful and can move the way he does in the pocket and then pulls out this, like you said, I think that was a very uh, Steve Young-esque type run yeah. where it's just like – that's such a backbreaker if you're Tennessee because you 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 cover well downfield. You were able to slow down these this legion of zoom, right? You're able to get <laughs> some pressure on him, and then he's just you still can't get the angle though, and he just pulls this out. It's like what what else are you supposed to do? That's literally you know playing Madden and playing all rookie mode right there. Like there's just nothing else you can do on that in that situation. That's that's when you start screaming. There's a glitch. You're hacking. You're hacking. That's fine. <laughs> you're hacking. <laughs> but the fact and you're right though. That was the backbreaker because that gave them lead at halftime. Mm-hmm. You go if. Tennessee goes into that locker room up 17-14. You expect Kansas City to score in the second half, but maybe there's that little bit of energy right. still in the tank. Um, I mean, to be quite honest, and the also mentioned Travis Kelsey. Kelsey kind of had a slow day. He only had four targets, only had three catches. And kind of the forgotten man in this offense, it's incredible to say that, is Sammy Watkins. And he turned up and had an incredible day this time around, even though Tyreek Hill gets the headlines. Watkins was incredible. We know Vrabel went very Bill Belichick in this game. He yeah. the way he has been. He went very take. I'm going to take away your number one guy, and he knew Kelsey's there. Yeah, you have Hill, right? And you have these guys in the Legion of Zoom and everything. But Kelsey's the guy, and you take away Kelsey, and you force other people to beat you. It was Sammy Watkins going for 60 yards, and that's what makes the Chiefs so dangerous. Because if Sammy Watkins, if you're able to contain a guy like Sammy Watkins with your one on ones and you take away Kelsey, it is a longer day, but that's just what makes the Chiefs so deadly is that, all right, you take away our number one, you even slow down our number two in Hill, number three is a number one on a lot of teams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Definitely. I mean, Kelsey, he, had, he finished with three for 30, but all of that came in the first half. Yeah, 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 he was really nothing in the second he half. He didn't get any more catches in the second half. But even Watkins, if you take away that 60-yard bomb, he still has six catches for 54 yards. I mean, he seemed to be yeah. bailing out Patrick Mahomes when he needed to be bailed out, you know? Yeah. Those sideline catches. He had a couple of sideline catches that didn't even count. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously you had uh, not too much help, though, was on the rushing game for Kansas City. We really haven't seen it that year all year, but Damian Williams, is that a concern that they don't have? That's because you got it from Mahomes in this one. Exactly. You got it from Mahomes <laughs> in this one. But, I mean, here's the thing. 
I mean, we're not going to spoil it, but we're about to in about 10 seconds anyway, so who cares? With San Francisco's defense, Mahomes might not be able to get out and run. We know what I think. That's the problem. I think a part of this though was they were again playing from behind, and I think yeah. it was very much like Mahomes was like, you know what, cutthroat, just go get it. I mean, they were down what twenty four yeah. <laughs> against or twenty one, whatever it was against uh, Houston. So yeah. I mean, they were down in this game early on, and it was just like, all right, I'm playing catch up the whole first half, and it took literally until that run at the end of the first half to get the lead, and then after that, it's why why run the ball? <laughs> you exactly. know, when you can do what yeah. you can do. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Damian Williams had six rushing yards in the first half, so he ended up with 40, 45. Uh, 39 of that came in the second half when they were trying to kill clock. But then again, right. you got to look at the, the, the short, intermediate passing game, you know, an extension right. of the run game. They were hitting Williams a lot out of the backfield. He f- finished with five for 44, and these are dinks, dink and dunks. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's going to be, talking going back to Tennessee real quick, this is going to be interesting offseason for them because you have both Henry and Tannehill who they're going to have to pay. And the question is, can they afford to keep him? Because you, you, you heard about Tannehill in the locker room. He was very much distraught, just sitting there just kind of by himself, the whole thing. Like, he was crushed, even though he's had an, an incredible year, uh, really kind of revived his career. He might be on the move again. But the one thing I think he can take comfort in is that he's a quarterback in demand again, like he was when he first went to Miami. I mean, you, we know they're going to pay Derrick Henry. We know they're going to do that. Now the question is, are they going to be like, okay, Tannehill, you showed us enough. You got us to the here. We're going to reward you. Or are they going to say, maybe there's a guy we can bring in that can, you know, take us a little bit higher. No offense to you. You know, similar to a San Francisco situation from a few years ago. You know, there's this is a quarterback class coming in free agent-wise as of right now. Now, a lot of things can be shored up later right. on. But as of right now, Teddy Bridgewater is a free agent. As of right now... Tom Brady's going to be a free agent. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, it's kind of crazy. But there's there's a number of names out there that Philip Rivers. Uh, Philip, I mean, there's 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 starting caliber quarterback. So Tannehill, is he, if he really wants to come back, he's and now you're right. There is a demand, so another team might pay him. But I think priority number one would be you lock up Derrick Henry, and then yep. whatever you have left, you could find a quarterback that brought you. 200 yards and 20 for 30. You know, you could find a guy. You know, Tannehill did it very well and ran this offense very well, but. Yep. You know, Tannehill has to know that, so he might not be getting the the big payday that we're all expecting the quarterback position for a free agent to get. True. No, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, obviously Derrick Henry is the number one priority for them in the offseason. But then again, Tannehill, I can see them going for like a two-year deal with him, like a prove-it deal type, sort of. I don't see him necessarily getting the max contract, even though he did take them to the AFC championship. He did give them that spark when he came in. I can see Tennessee still hesitant and wanting to see give him like more of a prove-it deal. Right. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I will. Uh, one last point here uh, from the end of this game. Um, really cool moment with obviously the AFC champion receives the Lamar Hunt trophy and for his son the owner still of uh, Kansas City to lift that trophy up that was a cool moment at the end of this game and again the first Super Bowl for Kansas City in 50 years Super Bowl 4 was the last one that's how crazy this is right now and to put into perspective now the longest droughts for Super Bowl, <laughs> the Browns. I know Super Bowl three. The Browns so. and the Lions at 54 years, never been. Jets at 51. Minnesota Vikings are in the four spot with 43. And the Miami Dolphins, 35 years since their last Super Bowl appearance. So, history being rewritten slowly but surely. Meanwhile, talking about history, two historic franchises in the NFC title game. And this one, 
I thought was going to be more intriguing than at least how it started off as between San Francisco and Green Bay. This was all 49ers right from the very beginning. I could not believe what we were seeing in this ball game. This was going to be the last stand for Aaron Rodgers. This was going to be his last chance really to get to a Super Bowl and it still might be his last chance. It's probably gone. And there was just nothing. This San Francisco defense shut them down completely. And that offense was just clicking like a fine-tuned machine. When you speak of utter domination, look back to this game because that's all it was. 27 nothing at half, running all over them. They couldn't stop a nosebleed, the Packers. <laughs> I mean, when you're giving it to Mostart and it's like, okay, 7 yards, 8 yards, 9 yards, 10 yards, yeah. over and over and over again. This is the NFL. This is the NFL in the NFC Conference Championship game. I couldn't believe what I was watching. And this was without without Coleman, who got er, hurt yeah, early hurt. on in this game. So we're thinking, okay, Mostert's the only weapon they got left, really, because we know Garoppolo, they don't trust him to throw a lot in this offense. No, they only needed Mostert. That was all they needed in this ball. He went 29 carries. 220 and four touchdowns in a championship game. It seemed like every time he touched the ball, he was one tackle away from scoring a touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. This was very Tennessee Titan-like in the very beginning, yeah. but except even more domination from the defensive end, which yeah. is even scarier. Um, and just quick little note here for all the Packer fans out there that were so, so eager to get Mike McCarthy out the door. When it came down to it, he was too conservative. I saw the first drive of the game. They had the ball fourth and one at the 50-yard line or, like, the 48-yard line. They punt. And then I also mm. saw, what, Rodgers complete, what, 15 passes in the first half for, what, 100 yards? Hmm. Very conservative stuff. And they were so quick to rush Mike McCarthy because he was too conservative in the playoffs. But anyway. Hmm. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you guys nailed it. I mean, they, 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 it was a domination. Like, I see 37 to 20. Like, if you were a person who didn't watch this game, you see the score, you're like, all right, they pulled away maybe. No. Uh, they got some garbage time. You know, they, yeah, a couple exactly. little late big throws at the end, Adams being Adams. But other than that, this game was never a question. I mean, at one point it was like 30, what, 4 to 19. It was like, oh, that's interesting. And then it wasn't. Yeah. So it was just the 49ers dominated this game, and it really is leading up to a very interesting Super Bowl. I mean, that second quarter was just the backbreak when you had the fumble and then the interception yeah. mm-hmm. on back-to-back possessions. That apps – and they got points on both, field goal, touchdown. That was it. That was the ball game right then and there. I mean, we saw the old Rodgers in the second half. By the way, how in the world is Devontae Adams getting behind you? I'm sure Mr. (laughs) Rivas is asking Mr. Sherman that question. Actually, no, he has. Uh, (laughs) But uh, honestly, this was something that I did not – I expected San Francisco to win this ball game. I didn't expect them to be cruising at halftime. Um, I mean, Rodgers had a great game, 31-39, 326. He had two picks. Jimmy Garoppolo wins this game going 6 of 8, six of eight yeah. for 77 yards. This has been the story all between Tannehill and Garoppolo. This has been the season all season the whole story. I mean, why are you going to throw the ball when you got Mostart sitting up here averaging 7.6 a carry? Like when I tell you <laughs> it looked like he would score a touchdown on almost every single play until that last tackle, that's legit what it was. This Packers offense was it was it was non-existent, really. I mean, yeah, Aaron Rodgers had a had a buttload of passing yards, three twenty-six. But they that three twenty-six, if you watch the game, it doesn't look like that at all until that that one bomb to Devontae yeah. Adams. Right. Yeah, it was all garbage time. I mean, that's what saved his numbers there. That's why you look at his QBR. Yeah, thirty-one, thirty-nine, three twenty-six, two scores. But yeah, twenty-two QBR. I mean, that's 
not that's very well below average. So I mean, yeah. it just it did not play winning football in this game. I mean, and we look at it, he lost only one fumble, but he did fumble the ball three times in this game. Yep. A couple, the one came uh, crucial on a third on a second down, made it third and long when you had a chance. You hold onto the ball, it's third and about ten. You know, so yeah. uh, it's those little things that Rogers definitely that first half was not Aaron Rodgers at all. And yeah, he did his thing in the second half to make it respectable, but. Um, like we said, this game was never in doubt. And then you talk about on the defensive side, what about Kwan Williams? What a game he had. Seven tackles, the sack, the forced fumble. Yeah. The, again, but this is what San Francisco does. Yeah, you've got a guy like a Richard Sherman who's a, and a Nick Bosa who are the name-brand guys. But top to bottom, this defense produces. And that's what makes them so scary. You don't have a weak point where, okay, let's run away from J.J. Watt. Oh, wait, there's Merciless on the other side. Now what do we do? They don't – you. You have that all over the place with yeah. San Francisco. There's no weak point in this defense, or at least I can't see one. No. I mean, do you guys see anything yeah, at not, all? Like, I mean, like I, there's just the way they've been playing. I mean, as of right now in the postseason, there's definitely no weak points. Late in the season, uh, they were getting exposed a little bit, but the guys like Sherman were out. They, they were uh, banged up and stuff, but they're fully healthy, and you could see that. Some, obviously, st- positions are stronger. I think the D-line is the is the focal point of this team, and then you got Sherman out there at corner, but other and everything else, those are like Pro Bowl-esque. Everybody else is just above average ask which is like there's yep. you're right there's no like all right our nickel's getting burned here they, they have nothing to worry about everybody's doing their job and that's that's the scary part yeah and, and uh, you see it on the offensive side of the ball as well Mostert was undrafted free agent Coleman was a third rounder Breda was undrafted cut from the Browns Mostert Kittle was a five rounder fifth rounder there is not this is an amazing stat there is not a single skill position offensive player who went in the first round on this team Wow. And they are going to the Super Bowl on the back of that. I mean, the the real question now is, can Jimmy can they run this offense this way? You know, is the, can their defense slow down Mahomes enough in the Super Bowl where they can actually win this ball game? I think the better the better matchup is definitely the San Fran D against the KC offense. Yeah. Um. I think that San Francisco is definitely going to be able to run the ball. I mean, that's that's what they do. They dominate yeah. you on the line of scrimmage, and they get rushing yardage. I think that's going to continue against Kansas City into the Super Bowl. But how is this? How is that pass rush going to do against Patrick Mahomes? And how is how are those DBs going to do against the Legion of Zoom? Yeah, it's gonna, definitely going to be. That's what makes this uh, Super Bowl. It's going to be great because you have both strengths going on, and you always love it when both strengths are on the opposite side yeah. of the ball, and you get to see that matchup. Not the two best defenses, two best. You got. Literally, that offense, that defense is going to be must-watch TV. This will be the best football game in the Super Bowl we've seen in a while. The Patriots-Philadelphia matchup was a shootout. That yeah. was a wild ball game, and it was tremendous entertainment. But it wasn't – there was no – you know, except for the strip sack of Brady at the fourth quarter right at the end, the defense was kind of, eh, they're there. Right. You know, but this is going to be a football game, down in the trenches, down and dirty. And we will break this whole thing down, trust me, folks, next week when Emery gets back. We will break this down probably position by position because it might be too close to call. A couple other quick facts, though. Garoppolo, again, only threw eight passes. Army, Navy, and Air Force threw for at least nine passes in a game 18 times this season. All three <laughs> of them run the triple option. And the other stat here, the 49ers are now the joined the 1988 Bengals and the 1999 Rams. They're the third team to reach the Super Bowl after winning four or fewer games the previous season. Wow. Interesting stat. They're from Adam Schefter. So it's been a long time coming for both of these franchises. San Fran hasn't been to a Super Bowl since 2012. I think they haven't won one since the 80s. We talked about Kansas City. It's a 50-year drought for them. So two very, very proud franchises, great fan bases in both. Uh, They deserve to go to Miami. Absolutely deserve to go and be there. 
uh, to represent their respective conferences. And in two weeks, it's going to be an absolute highlight show uh, in Miami. Let's go, though, back to the sideline because we talked about the coaching hires, the coaching carousel. We always keep an eye on that. And the head coaching carousel, pretty much filled. Now, before mm-hmm. we get into the coordinator hires, I want to bring up something that Emery actually was talking about uh, on Twitter the last couple of days. Follow him at FBall Game Plan on Twitter to get all of his highlights from the uh, Senior Bowl and the uh, Shrine Game and the NFLPA Bowl, by the way. Um, I mean, we've, all, we've heard about the enemy storyline, how he's not, he wasn't even considered for most of these jobs. Saleh is in the same boat. And what Emery was talking about was, should there be a freeze period in which teams cannot hire their next coaches until after a certain point? Like, I get the whole prospect of, okay, we've got an opening. We need to fill it now. We need to start working for next season now. But for the guys who are actually on the successful teams, they don't even get a look. And, you know, part of that, you know, people have talked about the Rooney rule, and that's the reason why, and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and that's broken. It might just be a timing issue, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, what do you guys think about this? Should there be a freeze period? Should there be a time for everybody to really get their look, at least for interview process, to before hires are made? I don't think it would hurt. It definitely wouldn't hurt. Because, I mean, like, a lot of these teams do do all their hiring before the Super Bowl even happens. Yeah. But, I mean, like, you got cases where – Kyle Shanahan, as soon as the Super Bowl was over, he was pretty much the head coach of the 49ers. Right. So it's like, do teams already know who they want, and they're just going through the motions of bringing guys in to make it look like they're they're interviewing to look for a coach, or do they already know who they want? You know what I mean? But when you talk about Saleh and Biennemi, like these are two guys who are at the top of their game as coordinators. For them to not even get a look, it's it's a travesty. It really is because. Bienemy's been doing it with KC for a while. Uh, Saleh with San Fran. Granted, they haven't been that good until this season. Yeah. But this season they were great. Yeah. So I mean, for them to not even get looks this year, like I said, it's it's a travesty. Yeah. There's no reason for them to have not interviewed for a head coaching job. And with Saleh, like I can understand him maybe not getting the looks because he is with a younger staff just in general. Bienemy, I could again. I brought this up last week. The argument that if Andy Reid, especially if he wins the Super Bowl. Maybe they're grooming him to be the heir apparent in Kansas City. I could see that being a thing, but the fact that they're not even getting an interview is just ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's what makes it – it's not right. And it's um, and I think with the Shanahan situation, I think the reason why someone like Shanahan was able to be hired right away is because John Lynch's familiarity with uh, Mike Shanahan when he right. coached him. So he knew Kyle Shanahan. He knows of him. He knew that that was going to be my guy. Guys like Biennemi and Salai are not going to get the chance to get that interview, and that's the problem. Like, if they had the chance, if they had an opportunity – I know they try to during the postseason, but – I mean, I, if I'm a I'm prepping for a championship exactly. game. Exactly. If I'm a if I'm a coordinator, <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out the team's offense or defense. You know, I'm not worried about uh, a head coaching job at this point. So yeah, it, it. I agree. I think a freeze. I mean, if a team decides that they love a guy, like let's say the Cowboys, McCarthy's the guy, right? Let's use the Giants for example. I mean, or they the hired Giants. a special teams coordinator. Right. So you want to go that route when the Patriots are done. If you were really that much in love with Joe Judge, fine. Have it unofficially right. official. You know, you have it whatever. Just so you can have the opportunity. As an organization, I mean, I know you want to get your guy and you want to lock him in, especially a guy like Rule who right. everybody wanted. You know, Who's he was the prospects? hot commodity. Yeah. I get that. But if I'm a team like the Giants and you know Rule's gone, McCarthy's gone, what does it hurt to be like, all right, Joe, like we really like you. You know, in my mind, you're the guy. But I still want to see what, what – 
the uh, enemy and, and Salah are gonna are gonna give me. So I, at least that's how I would operate. I would say I want to see all my cards on the table. Yes, Joe Judge won the interview. He won me over. I think he's the right guy, and I know you want to get going, but. What if these guys win me over too and they're showing that type of success as well? Yeah, the reason why I yeah. say to use the Giants here is, once again, I say they hired a special teams coordinator. Now, yeah. if you're sitting here with a young QB like Daniel Jones, you see what enemy has done with having Patrick Mahomes. Now, I'm not comparing Jones to Mahomes because we all know who Mahomes is and what he can right. do. But young quarterback, explosive offense, coordinator learning over Andy Reid under Andy Reid for the past couple of seasons you're going to go ahead and make this hire before you even interview this guy you're doing you you might be doing your team an injustice so that exactly. freeze rule it, it's not a bad idea at all yeah exactly and i think it's it's going to be especially if the Joe Judge situation in particular goes up in smoke like the fact that you move that quickly for this result might be interesting but the giants might have had them gotten themselves an out because they have named their offensive coordinator. They got took care of the defensive coordinator position up last week. Jason Garrett, as we thought. When we, again, this was all that happened a couple weeks ago when the news broke that, hey, Jason Garrett's coming in for an interview. Oh, okay, he might be the next Giants head coach. Wait, he's becoming he's interviewing for the offensive coordinator job? And, well, that's what he got. And, and apparently, he's got a good relationship already with Joe Judge. They were actually on very much on the same page. He's the new O.C., there was a lot of talk that, uh, with Mike McCarthy before we went on, our producer. Maybe this is a situation where Garrett is better as a coordinator than as a head coach. And, Alex, you talked about it before. He's always had a good offense in, in Dallas, so maybe this is his niche. Yeah, I mean, the guys, you, what you want to say, people thought Dak Prescott was a fifth-round guy. He can't be a starter, and all of a sudden Dak Prescott is – gonna get paid you know eventually you know i mean for a reason they led the league in offensive yards this year every year they're even in their four and 12 year they were able to move the ball with guys like kellen moore and kyle orton at the end of his career whoever else was quarterbacking that year um the years with tony romo tony romo did what he did uh jason garrett is behind that and is there anybody currently that knows the nfc east better than Jason Garrett, especially prepping for – and now you're giving him the role of just prepping for the opposing defense with a young quarterback, and we all see what happens when he's got a star running back. DeMarco Murray, when he left, what did he do? What did uh, 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 McFadden do in any other career? One year with McFadden, he got into a 1,000-yard rusher. You're getting Saquon Barkley and a promising quarterback with receiving options. He might actually be a guy that can utilize these guys. And you want to talk about a, a team. Now, I know injuries is the big reason, but right. Evan Ingram has been – I know he's been off the field, but he's highly not uh, unproduced or – I don't even know the word right now. Underproduced. It. Underproduced, thank you. There it is. He's definitely underproduced as the tight end, but we see flashes of what he can do. You yeah. want to talk about, about a guy who made something with Jason Winton. Imagine what he could do with an athlete like Ingram if he could stay on the field. So I actually think this is a fantastic hire, and God forbid – it goes in flames with Joe Judge. You have a head coach who's coached the NFCs before, ready to go. And what what's nice with both with for both Joe Judge and Jason Garrett is they are keeping some of the staff from this year's team. They they're keeping Tyke Tolbert, for example, who did a great job with that wide receiver mm-hmm. core. That most people looked at the roster of receiving core for the Giants this year and said, "Who? Yeah. Who's wait? Who? <laughs> Him? But they've turned out pretty nicely. So I want to get to you, Mr. Giants fan, <laughs> wearing his Giants beanie over there. Uh, your thoughts when you first hit? What were your thoughts when you first heard the hire, as compared to now when you've had a couple of days, a couple of days to think? You, you've gotten over your hangover, and <laughs> your thoughts are what? Yeah. All right. So <laughs> when I first heard it, I was I was a little bit disheartened. I mean. 
Jason Garrett, just the name and what he's done to us. For, Some nightmares for, come back for however long. <laughs> yeah, it's it was it was disheartening. I didn't want him, um, but then after taking a minute to step back and actually think about it and look at what it was, I'm not disappointed at all because, like you said, he's killed and dominated the NFC East um, for a while. He's killed and dominated the Giants for a while. He knows these teams. He knows the Cowboys inside and out. Granted, it will change coming into this season. But like you said, what he's done with all, everything that he's had in Dallas, from the young quarterbacks to the to the young wide receivers uh, to the young running backs and all the production that he's gotten out of all of them, and that's the situation that the Giants are in right now. Young across the board on offense, from the skills position to the quarterback to the running back, it's all youth, and he knows how to develop that and get the best play out of them. So looking at it afterwards – Definitely a good hire. And I was thinking, like, who else would you have wanted as the offensive coordinator? And I couldn't come up with a name. So, yeah, Jason Garrett, I'll take it. Exactly. Well, let's get into another one here, and let's talk about what's happening in Houston because we're having a change in the guard. Uh, Romeo Cornell is out as the defensive coordinator. And according to league sources uh, via Adam Schefter, uh, Anthony Weaver has been promoted. He's the defensive line coach. He will be taking over the defense in Houston We've said this about Houston's defense for the last couple of years. They are a scary group, a very scary group. And now they've got a younger coach coming in. I mean, Romy Cornell is in his 70s. They're, they're not sure if he's retiring or retiring yet. That'll be up to him. Uh, I think they have offered, basically, if he wants to come back as a senior coach or an advisor, he can do that. Uh, but you have a younger coach now coming in with a defensive line that was just scary <laughs> this past couple of years. Plus, you get a, a nice. It's nice to see the teams hiring in house as well, and just and rewarding that kind of development. So, what are we thinking about what Coach Weaver will bring to this defense? Do you think that will increase the aggressiveness that we've already seen from this team, or what do you think? What do we expect? Yeah, it could, and that's what I was thinking too when you said they're promoting from within. Obviously, that means the guy that the guy that, especially with the D line, that the defense fields close with and they feel comfortable with and a guy that could possibly get more out of him than Cornell you're right Cornell's in his 70s and Cornell is a name I mean he's going to go down in recent in recent coaches as one of the better defensive coordinators we've seen Uh, but the game is is evolving into more and not saying Cornell can't adapt but at this age maybe we do you do need that younger fiery guy uh, coming up and getting more out of this defense because this defense, for the most part, did underperform. Even I know they lost J.J. Watt. Clowney's not there anymore. I understand those things. But for the most part, you look at the roster, you look at the guys that are on here, there was too many games. They had great games, but there's too many games where 30, 40, 50 points are being scored up against this defense and forcing Deshaun Watson to play to go into shootouts. Yeah, Cornell is a he's a football lifer. His name rings bells. It really does. From back to the Patriot days to now, if you hear the name Romeo Cornell, like I said, it rings bells. But from hiring within, the biggest takeaway I I get from that is the guys buying in. Yeah, and they trust the system that they exactly. have. Exactly. That's that's one of the biggest things when you get a new name coming in, a new coordinator, is how long is it going to take for, for these guys to sink, for these guys to gel and buy into what they're selling. And if he's already been there for a while, especially with that D-line, we know how dominant it can be, especially when J.J. Watt is healthy. He already has those guys' ears. So yeah. they should be able to buy in quick and hit, hit the floor running come this offseason. And we actually do have some, uh, now that we're talking about corners, this could not be timed any more perfectly. Uh, some more breaking news as we record this on the podcast. The Panthers have named their defensive coordinator, and they have hired Phil Snow. Talk about another football lifer. He's been coaching since the 70s. Boise State, Cal, Arizona State, UCLA, Washington. Had a stint with the Detroit Lions from 2006 to 2008. Eastern Michigan Temple. 
but Mr. Rule is bringing some of his own staff. He's been yeah. the Baylor defensive coordinator for the last three years. He's got familiarity with him. There's going to be, I mean, I, we'll say this about the Big 12. It's not exactly a defensive haven <laughs> in terms of the college football <laughs> world. The but having that kind of, of uh, compatibility, going into a higher level where you're going to have de- defensive talent, this is a nice hire for Carolina. It's a smart hire, I think, too. Yeah, it's, I like this hire for Rule. I mean, somebody who you trust, somebody who you feel as though when you're not around that they're still going to be implementing your ways but still in your ear at the end of the day. And he's been with them for a few years already. And we already know how much talent that Carolina defense has. Granted, Mr. Keekley did just retire. They're still stacked with talent across the board. Yeah, I, I like the hire. I mean, Baylor, you, like you said, Big 12 is not known for their defensive prowess at all, but Baylor had a pretty respectable defense considering um, if you look at their rankings, they were in the top 20 in defense in a lot of categories. Um, I mean, especially in the Big 12 with those big offenses and everything, you've got to play Oklahoma, all those situations that could ele- elevate the numbers. They did a nice job, and like you said, I mean, it's it's somebody you're comfortable with, and it's somebody we'll learn down the stretch if this is a good hire or not, you know, this at the pro level, but for the most part, Matt Rule is getting his guys, and that's yep. the important thing. He's able to pick and choose, and um, and there's definitely going to be a comfortability. So when it comes down to it, in the end, it's going to be on Matt Rule in the end, not, okay, we got to blame the defense coordinator. He's, you know, one of those situations where everything wasn't picked for him, pretty much like a dysfunctional team, like, you know, the Browns, the Jets, those type of teams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you see this is going to be, all right, you brought these guys in, it's really on you, and he's t- and he's going to take ownership of that, and that's I think that's great for a head coach. Yeah, I, I guess we'll find out in seven years. Exactly. Well, yeah, seven <laughs> exactly. years down the line, we will know. Seven-year plan. And interestingly, too, another name that I'm going to throw out here to you that's been uh, getting interviews, he had an interview, in fact, with Carolina, uh, but also interviewed with the Jags recently, is Ben McAdoo. Your old friend, Ben McAdoo. So Big is this, Ben. So we'll see what happens there. Jaguars, uh, the president said we've had a very, I forget what his quote was exactly, but he, he said, he, like, we've, had a really, we've been really bad at winning. Or something like that <laughs> over the last few years. So we'll be interested to see what Jacksonville does uh, with their hires. Again, folks, this is the NFL All-32 Podcast presented by Football Game Plan. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes and SoundCloud uh, where you can check out all of our Football Game Plan podcasts on demand. Just subscribe while you're there and give us a five-star rating and let us know what you want to hear. Uh, we're always looking for, looking for what the fans want to hear from us and the listeners want to hear from us. Uh, getting into the second half here, let's talk quickly about the Hall of Fame. And we're getting close now. Uh, the, I may have made a slight uh, misstatement in the last one where I said the modern era players were coming up this week. That was actually the senior uh, uh, committee had their uh, selections made this week, which was, again, part of this group of 20 that will go into the Hall of Fame this year. The modern era finals will actually be announced the Saturday before uh, the Super Bowl in two weeks. Uh, but just running down the names here, and then we're going to talk a little bit about them. Um, I can honestly say that most of these guys were playing before we were born, uh, so it's going to be a little bit difficult for us to talk about what we saw because we don't want to work on fr- false pretenses. But uh, in terms of the players, uh, Jim Covert, offensive tackle from the Chicago Bears in the 80s, uh, he makes it in. Winston Hill, longtime New York Jet, uh, part of the uh, lone Jets Super Bowl team, he makes it in. Harold Carmichael, longtime wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Duke Slater, who played in the 20s and 30s with, um, I'm going to, I wrote these names down, started his career with the Milwaukee Badgers, then played for the Rock Island Independents before going to the Chicago Cardinals. 
Uh, but he was also the first African American African American to play as a lineman in the NFL. Chicago Cardinals. I wonder how they take it over there with the yeah. baseball rivalry over there. It's a little. It's a little. Yeah, yeah we'll see how that. Like that I'm not one. sure how that one went. Uh, Ed Sprinkle, linebacker, defensive end from the Chicago from the 40s and 50s. Uh, Alex Karras, defensive tackle from Detroit from 58 to 1970. And if that name rings a bell, you might know him more as an actor. He was on the TV show Webster and also played the infamous role of Mungo in the movie Blazing Saddles. Awesome. Uh, so, <laughs> a little, uh, little movie trivia there for you folks. Uh, Bobby Dillon, safety from Green Bay from 59 to 50, uh, 52 to 59, gets in. Donnie Schell, uh, one of the most dangerous safeties ever to play the game from Pittsburgh from 74 to 87. Uh, when I told my dad this name, he started having flashbacks. Uh, <laughs> Cliff Harris, safety from Dallas during the 70s. He makes it in along with Max Speedy, who played with the original Cleveland Browns. Uh, he was technically a wide receiver, but back then they called them ends <laughs> in the 40s and 50s, so he gets in. Uh, we already talked about the two coaches, Coach Jimmy Johnson, the uh, obviously the Super Bowl winning, co- uh, winning coach for the Dallas Cowboys, and Bill Cowher, the longtime quarter, uh, coach for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. They were announced actually on live TV, which was really cool. I think we talked about that before. And three contributors also going in. Uh, Paul Tagliabue, the former NFL commissioner, he goes in uh, after his incredible service to the game. George Young, the former GM of the Baltimore Colts, the Miami Dolphins, and the New York Giants, he gets into the Hall of Fame as well. And Steve Sable, uh, the man who was the dreamer that came up with NFL films, the legendary NFL films. So, again, names that come up on this list – Obviously, we got a jet and a giant. So, Winston Hill. Oh yeah. I uh, mean, this was part of the the Namath years. Oh, so, yeah. I but could, he was the guy protecting his ass. I could definitely thank Steve Sable on this list for the reasons why I know more about Winston Hill than just the name. <laughs> because thanks to Steve uh, Sable's films, I was able to watch some of these old games and some of this old tape on these guys. And uh, I just remember watching, especially just being a Jet history nut and just watching the Super Bowl three year and everything that went into like that time, Joe Namath's era, everybody knows it as Joe Namath's era with the Jets, but there was always Winston Hill there, and Winston Hill was always the guy you always hear. Of course, Hill dominated the left side, the amount of times you heard that on NFL films, and just reading like some of the articles about him is just what we always talk about with offensive linemen. They don't have the stats to really, especially then, they didn't count pancakes or anything like yeah, that so exactly. you don't you don't have the stats back then or ever really it goes by what do the players think of these guys and all the players that played against him all the guys that were with him he was different and he was and they in their eyes he was a hall of famer he was better than the rest so it's good to see and if you're blo- you're blocking for Joe Namath Joe Namath's not a quiet guy so <laughs> if if he's not talking about his offensive line specifically his blind side for all those years it's because somebody's doing something right in all those years it was Winston Hill so Great to see him get in, and uh, you know, anytime a Jet can get into the Super Bowl, uh, excuse me, the <laughs> Super Bowl. Careful, sorry, easy there. Sorry, sorry. I, sh- I, uh, I was playing Madden for a second. No, uh, anytime a Jet can get into the Hall of Fame, it's a, it's a good day. So, but it was, um, it was great to see him get honored and to get recognized as someone part of that era because it can't just be Joe Namath that wins a Super Bowl by himself. Yeah. So it's good, good to see that. See, Namath should be, able, should be the one that puts the code on him. At the, at the <laughs> ceremony, but it should be a fur, sure. a fur, fur golden, coat, fur gold coat. <laughs> that should be what it is. Uh, but for the Giants fan, George Young. I mean, obviously he was known for his time in Miami. That was his longest tenure, seventy nine to ninety seven. He was only with the Giants from ninety eight to oh one. But when you think about it, he was really the reason that the Giants had this incredible era that they had in the two thousands and the twenty tens. And 
this was the man who built it. So what does George Young mean to the Giants franchise? I mean, as you know, anytime a Giants can get into the Hall of Fame, <laughs> I'll take they it. They already but get yeah, to the Super Bowls. Even though he's, he's a Dolphin, he's, but whatever. He drafted a couple of key players that helped us set up for that. I mean, like Tiki Barber. Tiki Barber was one of our, our be- arguably the greatest Giants running back until now, until Saquon Barker. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. George Young, great contributor to this game. I'm more interested in Paul Tagliabue. It's about time he got in. Yes. I mean, yes. everything that he's done for this game, uh, commissioner from 89 to 06, everything that the NFL has gone through, the adding the expansion teams, helping the NFL integrate into NFL Europe, everything that this country has gone through while he was commissioned, between yeah. Desert Storm, uh, 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, helping the league navigate through these through these travesties that occurred in our country, but keeping the NFL strong. Paul, it's about time Tagliabue got in. Absolutely. Um, one name I, that stood on my list to me was uh, Harold Carmichael. And you're talking about a guy that was really one of the first giant wide receivers before that was such a thing. He was six foot eight in his playing days, 225 pounds. I mean, that is Gronkowski-level size in a time in the NFL when you really didn't see it. Um Came out of Southern, too. Came out of an HBCU school, uh, out of the SWAC. Four-time Pro Bowler, three-time second-team All-Pro. Never got a first team, but he was part of the 1970s All-Decade team. Um, really part of those Eagles teams where they were really kind of mediocre. Uh, and then was part of them as they moved out of that into kind of a glory age for them uh, in the late 70s. So it's good to see him get the recognition. Uh, Alex Karras, obviously. Uh, much more than an actor, incredible D lineman for Detroit for a long stretch of time. Uh, and what can we say about Steve Sable? I mean, you think you put it well. I mean, this is what uh, what I love about the Hall of Fame is when they tell these guys if they are still living that they are going, is that they thank them for what they've done for the game. Thank you for what you continue to do to the game. And there's no one that you could really think of that has done more than Steve Sable because up until that point, it was still kind of the country was mostly focused on baseball through the 1950s. It's a shame how um, NFL films has changed nowadays. Like, people, generation now will never understand how how excited you were when you heard the, the, the music. The, the music. That, the trumpet blast. Exactly. Like, you're not yeah. paying attention. You're, you just have ESPN on, and then all of a sudden you hear that music, and it's like, ooh, what is this going to be about? Yeah. Just get all giddy about it. And now it's, it's bringing back the 86 Giants season, or it's bringing the yeah. 72 Dolphins season. Not just talking about the game, but describing what the whole – that team went through for the entire season and you hear the names and you're learning the football history and you're tuned in for every second about it and this is this is how steve this is stable's legacy on us i remember sitting there when i was a child watching the tv nfl films come on i'm tuning in and it wasn't just one episode and it was off it was back to back to back to back oh yeah you know what i mean this is the nfl films legacy and nowadays it's it's changed a little bit and it's a little saddening that this generation won't exactly know what his impact was on us yeah and, and you put it perfectly what sable did is he didn't describe the didn't have you know when he was having the narrators talk about it he wasn't describing the plays he was describing the game mm-hmm. and you put him up there with john madden talking about you know a similar way he brought it to the broadcast booth uh but that is definitely sable's legacy i mean you talk about i mean all the great bits of film that you see now that are colorized from the you know the 50s and the 60s and uh, even further back, that is because of him. And I, I, the game would not be the same place now uh, if it wasn't for his legacy. Obviously, it has changed as adjusted a little bit at NFL Films. 
but that is not that's a legacy that will not be erased uh, from the history books. We talked about the coaches already too, but Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cowher. I mean, you're talking about two of the most legendary coaches in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. All these players are deserving. Um, I mean, again, Donnie Shell, he literally was terrorizing people as part of the steel curtain. So that's not the guy you wanted to mess with. Um, but to see guys as well coming from the 30s and the 40s that are getting in uh, when football was really still in its infancy, uh, recognizing that pass, and that's what they did with the NFL All-100 as well. So it's good to see that happening. And, again, the modern era players, those last five spots, uh, that will be decided uh, coming up the day before the Super Bowl. So in about two weeks, uh, we'll know who joins this group of 15 men uh, and their legacy that will be enshrined in Canton, Ohio forever. And if you haven't been out to Canton, Ohio, I would – incredibly recommend it it is a great experience i've been there once uh it's absolutely outstanding make the trip out to ohio and go and see it it's really really tremendous we talked about the past now let's end this podcast talking about the future because it's not too early enough now we can start talking about the the 2020 nfl draft and there's are there's a stacked stacked class coming out of this group but also some guys that are saying you know what i love the college game i want to get my i want to get check i want to get paid and there are some big names that, in terms of the draft class, that we have to keep an eye on. If you guys had to pick, you know, obviously we've talked about there's a lot of maybe news about some quarterback play, but there's a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball that are, wait a minute, he's coming out? Okay, I can take him in the second round. Who do you, who do you like in terms of, you know, just in general, if you're a, a GM, which guy are you targeting? That's tough, man. I mean, it's 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 only January still. We still have only seen January. Come all on, all the bowl games aren't done. The combine's not done. Oh, combine there's still is a nothing. lot. There's uh, combine. Don't say the combine is nothing. It is the nothing. Combine. Wow. Come on. I anyway, oh, I hate the combine. Still gotta, so like much. I said, you still got to see the combine. There's a lot to still be said for a lot of these prospects. I mean, obviously Chase Young is the big one that's yeah. come out. Young and Burrow. Burrow. Tua. They're all coming out of here. Um, Two was the interesting question. Two was the interesting one because do you really trust it? Who's going to take the flyer? I, I hear that some GMs are liking him at two, but how you're can you not take him in the first him. round? How can you take him in the first round? I mean, a first round pick for me has got to be an impact player this year. I know you yeah. can. I know you can wait and stuff. And if he's the guy, he's the guy. I know quarterback's a little bit of a different beast, but he's not going to be sitting behind a quarterback whoever takes him because they want him to learn. He's going to be sitting behind a quarterback to heal and that's a big difference especially a hip injury that's a big ask well you talk about impact guys let's talk about some of the guys that are in at the wide receiver position yeah cd lamb Mm -hmm. coming out of oklahoma i think he's a guy that you got to talk about thaddeus moss jerry judy justin jefferson there's a really i think i was gonna keep going there it goes goes so deep i mean Almost the wide receiver classes. position is I, I know wide receivers are a dime a dozen. This year's class, you could have twenty or thirty in the first two days. Easily. This year's class in almost every position is just so deep. This is gonna be a good NFL draft this year. Absolutely. And when you, to answer your question, I, I don't think you can answer that question right now as far as who you're targeting, because obviously it depends what team you're talking about or whatever it is, because yeah. as a Jet fan, I'm only I, I, yes, Judy, Ceedee Lamb, all those guys sound great, but I'm looking Lightning. at the offensive tackle <laughs> the and the one. center position, and I'm just gonna yeah, every pick until we find <laughs> the right one until and make it work. And it, oh, you know what? We found four. Okay, these two could play guard. Whatever, I don't care. Just figure it out. But yeah, uh, but no, you're right. I mean, 
big names, and I can understand the LSU guys. They won their ring. You know, they got the, that right. ship. There's a lot of guys coming out of LSU. You know, you're probably good. This is the time. Some of the guys that I think are interesting, guys like that you would think would be first-round talents, guys like Hubbard and ETN not coming out. Those are the yeah. ones where I'm like, all right, that's interesting. Clemson's got to be real happy right oh, now. Absolutely. Yeah. You're getting Lawrence and ETN to come back. And even with those guys staying in college, the running back class is still deep. Still stacked. Ache. I mean, there you have. we all know Taylor. We all know Dobbins. Dobbins. And, Swift. And, it's still and you, so Cam deep. Cam Akers. Like, that's a name that, like, you know, you're, you don't think about as, like, the top four or five, but he's probably – a one or two type prospect. Well, I you mean, talk about other guys at the running back position, the guys that are coming out early, A.J. Dillon from Boston yeah. College, who's been an absolute stud under the radar pick, and I know this because I do the FCS Opening Drive podcast, which you can listen to here on, <laughs> on SoundCloud and iTunes. Pete Guerrero, the um, running back out of Monmouth, yep. ran for almost 2,000 yards this year. The only reason he didn't get to 2,000 is because he got stopped at 1995 in the second half of the playoff game against James Madison. This kid is a track he, – he, he runs track. But he's still at 6'1", 210 pounds. The kid is an absolute stud. That's another guy to look at. But you talk about Clemson, they're losing T. Higgins and Isaiah Simmons. I think, I think both of these guys, if we've learned anything from Clemson the last couple of years, first, second round, third round talent, probably. Um, but you're right. With all these guys, that are, there are a good amount of guys staying home. But the guys that are coming out early makes this really interesting. Camp Makers coming out of Florida State at running back. Uh, Stanford Samuels the third, also an FSU guy coming out. Jake Fromm leaving early, the quarterback from Georgia. Someone's going to take a flyer on him along with DeAndre Swift. So you talk about guys from like big-name programs, they're moving out now. Iowa's losing a couple guys. It, this is going to be wide open. That's what I mean, I'm saying. This, this, this draft class is – if you miss on this draft class, you, you might need to want to oh, reevaluate that GM or, situation. Or, <laughs> or some of these guys are going to learn quick that – they probably should have stayed a year or two. <laughs> yeah. And the teams are unfortunately going to learn because, like, if you're grabbing a, a junior, a redshirt, you know, sophomore or a junior, and you're like, maybe he wasn't ready or maybe he was a product of a great team. Those he are the, those are the scary ones. <laughs> Sanchez. Sanchez. Uh, should have stayed another year at, at USC. Now, here's the thing. We're gonna, let's play a little game Leave here. Mark alone. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Giants fan, Mr. GM of the New York Giants over there, you've got your pick in the first round. Where are you going? In terms of position, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask you to say a name, but if you're gonna give me a position, maybe a list of a few that you would take there. What What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Um, uh, what I'm looking at right now has him lifted as. I was hoping he said quarterback. Just to <laughs> <laughs> the the website I'm looking at right now has him lift, listed as a safety, but I'm gonna go linebacker. Okay, I see him more of as a linebacker in in the NFL. Do you want a name? Sure. Well, you're, you're you went very specific. Yeah, I, say you, as well. I see him as a linebacker. Wait, who? Him who? Simmons. Interesting. Okay. All right. I can see that happen because I, I think that's where the Giants are weakest. It's, it's not – you're okay on the defensive line if you're a Giants fan. You're okay with what they've done. You want to add some depth there. Linebacker, it's oh boy, yeah, <laughs> it is shaky. The as biggest hell. thing for me is we've been three four for the past couple of years, but I do not like running a three four. I prefer the four three, but Graham hasn't really said what his what what he's gonna do. So I don't know where we're where we're gonna continue to go in that direction. And you do have the number four pick in this year's draft. As for you, Mister Jets fan, you are now. So the GM of the New York Jets. You're probably already doing a better job. Uh, in my got- head, there's there's so many things in my head <laughs> that I've been thinking about since, like, week nine. You've got um, <laughs> number 11 pick. Yep. A little bit higher, a little bit better year for the Jets at 7-9. and nine. 
do you a trade up or do you like do you think you can get what you need which I think I know where you're going yep. in this first round at number 11 since we were talking about all these guys coming out early and it's a lot of skill guys yep. right so you got to imagine more skill guys are getting taken sooner than normal uh, or not normal but there's going to be yeah, a lot yeah. more to choose from I should say so you should see them at the top of the draft if I can just th- speaking draft wise not talking free agents at all I would trade down if I can try to absorb another second round or first round pick for a okay. guy, team that wants a, that big name quarterback or something who they think is their big name quarterback, Jake Frum type guy that they fall in love with or something. And I'm loading up on linemen. Now, the only reason why <laughs> I wouldn't go first, second round linemen, because right now it's first, second round linemen, but right. if and it's specifically tackle and center. Um, if, they, if the Jets go out and sign a Costanzo and a Scherf, for example, yeah. Maybe I just go one lineman and then probably would focus on wide receiver. Hopefully C D Lamb. I don't I think he's a first round guy, but if C D Lamb's there, someone like that, T. Higgins somewhere in that reign, or I go tight the, end. the best cover corner. Ah, cornerback. I think okay. I think they're okay at tight end. You got Ryan Griffin who's signed an extension and then you got I mean we don't know what we got in Herndon. Herndon, for rookie, uh, his rookie year looked like he could be a guy who, who can really burst on the scene and then didn't really play what he played one game this year. Right. So you, you, there's still question marks there. But I think um, if if it's it's got to be offense side of the ball first round. I don't care. Something yeah. offense. But um, if I was going to improve this, obviously it's going to be edge rusher or corner, the same problem they've had, you know, at least edge rusher since John Abraham. So yeah. um, they definitely need the best player at that position. From there, but if if that guy's not there, then I go lineman again. I mean, you can't hurt protecting your what should be your franchise quarterback. Exactly, and you got so many different players on the offensive line. Tristan Wirfs, the kid out of Iowa, off the yep. tackle, uh, big name there. Cushenberry, center from LSU, is coming out early. Uh, two linemen from Georgia, Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson, are both coming out, and as well the center from Wisconsin, Tyler uh, Tyler uh, Biadas. Uh, is another guy that might be targeted but in the first without, second round. Without doing any scouting or looking at these guys or anything right now since we're still in getting ready for the Super Bowl and everything, I can tell you right now my favorites are the Wisconsin and the Iowa guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Georgia's built a hell of a line too, so I'll give him a second look. But I, off the top of my head, Big I'm, Ten. Look, I'm, Big going, Ten. I'm yep. going to Wisconsin and Iowa first. Big Ten <laughs> and then one last question here. There's been questions. What does Cincinnati do at number one? Obviously, we think it's going to be Joe Burrow. Has to is be, there? Right? Any possibility at all they got two Ohio that kids. Cincinnati trades away the number one pick <sighs> because the Giants were never going to trade Odell Beckham Jr. until they did. Jacksonville was never going to move on from their big pieces until they did. Is there somehow, some way that you could put a package together for another team that could take <sighs> away the number one pick? And who would it be? That's the question. Man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'm trading the, away. The right opposite. now, Cincinnati can't screw this up. They cannot screw it well, up. Well, they either, can. If by they, trading it away, I think. That's what I'm thinking. Either they take Joe Burrow, an Ohio kid who just won the college football playoff, or you take Chase Young from Ohio State, who has just been a dominant force at defensive end. You take either one of those two guys. You can't screw it up. Like, they're not going to pull the Raiders, are they, and go punter at number one. Let's yeah. be honest with you. But... See, I, I just wonder if someone's going to go to Cincinnati and be like, hey, you were close to winning quite a few games this year. You don't need that much. We need the number one pick. I think <laughs> the question for me with Cincinnati, the only <laughs> thing is, is it Joe, Young, um, Joe Burrow or Chase Young? I don't think – I can't imagine them giving up on those two talents. What Joe Burrow did this year in the SEC, he didn't do this 
in the in the Big Twelve. He didn't do this in yeah. you know these other a non Power Five conference. He yep. did this against the cream of the crop. He did this against what six ranked schools this year. He had to play. <laughs> he made Oklahoma and uh, Clemson look like be you know FCS schools. I mean, he really did hey, offensively. Hey, hey, hey. hey, listen, I don't want to hit, <laughs> hit on the FCS, but Joe Burrow and that offense. I know he has a lot of pieces. He has three potential first rounders on that offense. I get that, but I mean, and that offensive line has been stout. But and or at Oregon, of course. But yeah. um, what Road he Tigers. did, w- the accuracy and everything he put into. The, I mean, he looked like Mahomes on the college level. I mean, it just what he was True. doing in the NFL, and then Chase Young. I mean, the dude was getting was known getting double and triple teamed and was still finding a way to disrupt plays in the backfield of the Big Ten. I mean, yeah. against teams like Iowa and Wisconsin, against some of the best. Yeah. So it's – I think it's between those two. I could I could make an argument here that you, they don't go Joe Burrow and go Chase Young because, and, and stick it out with Andy Dalton, but that's a whole other conversation. That, that, that's one where <laughs> I don't think – Cincinnati doesn't want to pull Cleveland, though. That's the thing. I don't. There's no way. <laughs> there's no way they trade out of this spot. There's yeah. no way that they don't select uh, Joe Burrow. When was the last time that there was a clear cut number one who you should draft overall pick? I want to say Andrew Luck, maybe. Well, who who's number who's number two? It's the Dolphins. Washington. 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 Then Detroit. Then the Giants. Then the Dolphins. Yeah. Yeah. So it would make no sense. Then Detroit, then the Dolphins. No, Detroit Giants, Dolphins, three, four, oh, five. So the Dolphins are way down. They say that, yeah. that'd be the only team if the Dolphins are in the top three. I would consider because if you trade with the Dolphins, they've loaded up on draft picks. I want all their first rounds, all their second rounds, and next year I yeah. want a first or second round. If you fleece a team like that, then I consider it. Can if I can get a top of the line player and pick in the top three. But if I I'm not trading down anywhere past like three or four. Um. Yeah. No. Not at all. For I would agree two. with that notion, yeah. though. If they can get all those picks that the Dolphins have, okay, then I can see the Dolphins taking the flyer on Tua, signing Fitzpatrick for one more year. Uh, and then if they took Tua, and you could still get Burrow or Chase Young. That's a, oh my god. That's no, no, no. I'm saying the Dolphins take Tua at that point. Not not in the first round, but later oh, on. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, all right, not right, in the first yeah. round, but later on. I was gonna say, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> talk <laughs> about a there. win. Oh, no, man. no, no. With all the picks that they have at that point, take two yeah. later on, sign Fitz for one more year yeah. to to mentor two because I mean Fitz is a great mentor. Listen, Fitz should have gotten a four or five year deal by now. I'm, <laughs> I'm very disappointed. His his beard at least should get a ten year contract. I mean, oh, it's he, there. his his beard should outlive Matt Rule at Carolina. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Seven year minimum for his beard. Um, this draft will be nuts. We will discuss the draft as the next couple months go on. Obviously, Emery has been at almost all of the All-Star games that he can possibly be to because he can't be in two places at once. So when he returns next week, we'll have all the insight from him, I'm sure. Uh, But Cincinnati, like I said, don't pull a Cleveland. That's all we ask. Uh, That'll do it, folks, for the NFL All-32 preview. Next week, it is Super Bowl week next week as we talk about the Super Bowl in Miami between San Francisco and Kansas City. We will break all of it down, every single position by position. We will talk about everything from the long snapper to the water boy to the athletic trainers, if we have to, to try to see who has an advantage in this ballgame. It is going to be absolutely bonkers. Make sure you tune into that, and you want to make sure you do that by subscribing and putting on those notifications on SoundCloud and iTunes for whenever we drop anything from Football Game Plan. You can listen to it there. And again, if you want to watch the NFL All-32 show and you are in the New York metropolitan area, we are on the Game Plus Network Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And we do have some new programming that we will be bringing out 
uh, in the next couple of months that we're very excited about. So tune in over there. As for now, for Alex Marinoni, Troy Anthony, and David Hassagan, thanks for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you next week.